Oh boy, welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to Seahawks Weekly right here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. We got an interview today with Bobby Wagner coming up here at 8 o'clock. He will be here at Pearl, so if you're driving around, come on down because we got an awesome crowd that is here. Uh, we start this every Thursday at 7 night, o'clock at night. Harrison Steelings, Batch Number 12 Vodka, Legendary Donuts, and Muckleshoot Bingo are our sponsors. Our good buddies with me every week, as always, even though I haven't seen my man Paul Moyer in a while. Paul, it's good to rough, see you, bro. It's been bre- what, what you know good? What you know good? And Dave Wyman, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm a little nervous, though. I, I was no, Why? Because of Paul's sweater? <laughs> Go ahead, get it out of the way. You do look like Mr. Rogers, bro. <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know, some of us don't wear the free shoes we got when we were a Seahawks player and free coats still. Oh. You know, See, I, this is what, you know, when I retired from the NFL, the one thing that I missed the most was all the free stuff. Tennis Gee. shoes. <laughs> T-shirts and tennis shoes. Dave, when I, I saw go- your New Balances. They're still there from 30 years ago. When, when I went in and had to pay cash mm. money for shoes, that was, a, that was tough. That was tougher than retiring. So that's the reason why you kept in the New Balances all them years? Yeah, see, you were making fun of my New Balances. <laughs> and his cargo shorts. Yeah, that well, too. Well, that we, got too. A, we got an awesome show today. We got a lot of excitement. And if, I'm telling you right now, if you love football and you love Seahawks and you're not excited about this month of December that is coming up, you ain't got a pulse. We're talking about the next five games is about to be action-packed. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk about what's coming up now. We'll previously talk about uh, the four. 49ers game. I know Dave Wyman, you're excited because we got Bobby Wagner's going to be here oh, at 8 man. o'clock, man. I know you probably couldn't sleep when you found out that news. <laughs> That's your guy right there. Well, I'll tell you what, I've just loved watching him develop as a player. And first of all, and everybody will find out, he's just such a nice guy. And he really is a great pro. The way he's developed and matured, and uh, he's just a phenomenal playmaker. And Paul, I always talk about like the I used to describe this to high school players when I coached high school. There's three parts of every play. First is getting lined up so that you can fulfill your assignment. Number two is fulfilling that assignment. But the third part is being a player. Just turning it loose and doing the things that just like your instincts take over. And so Bobby Wagner's interception in that San Francisco 49er game was just like that third part where he just reached in and grabbed the ball out and kind of spun away from him. And he had an interception in the first uh, go around with the San Francisco 49ers where I thought he took a little bit of a step to kind of bait Brian Hoyer and then jumped it. So his instincts are so good. And he's become also a very solid player as far as all the dirty work, the little things that you have to do as far as technique goes and everything. And uh, I, I think Bobby is, is a legitimate MVP candidate. What's he got? A safety, he's got two interceptions, he's got a couple sacks, and then for the sixth year in a row, Paul, 100 tackles. 100 already. Got 100 he's already. He's already at 100. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm excited to get him and, and ask him a couple things about just his growth from his rookie year and how much he went off of just raw ability to where he is now. And, Dave, you, you talked about the, his first interception against the 49ers, and I agree, I think he baited him. I think he baited this one, too, because uh, the quarterback looked to the right very quickly, and Bobby didn't even, didn't even influence him. As soon as he set his feet, he broke back to this option route, the, the one he got the interception on, and I went, wow. I go, that was impressive. I, I think he went more impressive, and this is hard to do. When you're, you know, he's a veteran now. He's played in so many playoff games. He's been to Pro Bowls. He is still so physical. He does not take a playoff. And I just know as our careers, when we got older, 
man, there was a, there were some times, there were some plays. I said, yeah, I'll play the next down. Right. And he doesn't do that. He's just a, an incredible, incredible athlete. Well, I can feel it already. We can sit here and talk Bobby Wagner for yeah. two hours very easily. Yeah. So let's talk about what happened. Uh, the Seahawks took care of business. They beat a 49ers team that, let's be real, we all expected them to beat. We expected them to beat their, them. But, however, I do want to talk about how the game started. First possession, first pass, first play. Russell Wilson throws an interception right there, throws an interception, tries to throw to Jimmy Graham, kind of threw it short, got an interception. Once again, guys, the offense kind of starts slow. What did you guys see that San Francisco did to the Seahawks to slow down that offense once again? I, I don't see anything that San Francisco did. I see that the Seahawks and, and what they do. And look, let's, let's face it, when we're talking about the offense, we're talking about Russell Wilson. He's now 86% of the, of the offense. Look, we lean on him heavily, and we ask him to be perfect. Over the last four or five games, the one thing I would say, look, he's going to get on fire like that first possession he had in the second half. But early on, take the check down. You know, throw throw a five yard uh, pass, and and look, coach. Uh, coaches have always told me, quarterbacks have big egos. So if you're dropped back in a zone and they run a curl route in front of you with you know five yard depth, and there's a, a dig route behind you at 15 yards, they're throwing the 15 yard. They want the route. 15. Yeah. So I mean that, but I think for Russell, just take what the defense gives you because he's started slow this year. In years past, it hasn't been that significant, but this year it's really been that way. And I, I see him trying to extend plays early. I see him trying to take the big shot downfield. And that was a great example, that very first play, of how going forward and against this Philly defense, just take what they're giving you. And J.D. McKissick was open. Yep. And then... Luke Wilson was open Luke also. Was, I mean, there's, yeah. so, they, I mean, they the, ran a bootleg on that, and no one covered Luke. And Yeah, and it, I see why he wants to throw the ball downfield, and that's Jimmy Graham and everything. His feet weren't set right and everything. And so for Russell, and I sound like I'm being overly critical of yeah, him. You're being really nice. I'm going to be critical well, in a second. 86% of the offense, I mean, he has to be better. So here's the thing with Russell. Look, uh, you know, God bless him. He's a big part of this offense. He's not getting very much help from the running game, but – he has to, I, I think, I don't want to say settle for less, but the term is that coaches always tell quarterbacks, take what the defense is giving you, and especially early on. Then later on, as the game develops, you can extend plays and throw the ball downfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, the, the one criticism, look, the guy's an MVP candidate. He is, he, he's amazing. I mean, he's, he's amazing what he does I'll just say particularly in the fourth quarter and second half. And even with the offensive struggles we've had, what he can do is, is truly amazing. <clears throat> that battle between the coach and, and the quarterback will be ongoing because he wants the big play. And you have to look at it and go, okay, how many big plays versus mistakes? And that first play, Luke, I think it was Luke, it, that we run a boot, bootleg. Now, I don't know what the coach has said. They may have said, hey, we're going to run this fake boot, but we're throwing backside to Jimmy Graham, which they do a bunch of. But in this case, it was there. I mean, it was hit Luke. There's nobody guarding him. I mean, he gets 15, 20 yards easy in that play. So that's frustrating. And I think you just said, Dave, if we can go in and he can just hit the quick check downs, just move the chains, punt a little bit, 
let him, the second half, we know what he's going to do. Yeah. And so it's just if we can just follow that game plan a little, little tighter, keep moving the chains, this week will be critical. We do not want to get to third down. We got to win on first and second down. So those little check downs are going to be very important. Papa had a brand new pair of pants. It was a new looking offensive line. You had, good. you know, you had Dwayne Brown, you had Joko, you had Britt, you had Posick, and had yeah. a Fetty. Guys, what's your take on the new offensive not line look right now? Well, I think officially we have to stop saying that the Seahawks don't invest in offensive line oh, yeah. as far as, you know, trading and drafting and paying. And so they're going to be probably, you know, with Justin Britt, you got Dwayne Brown coming in here. So. Dwayne Brown, is, he's become, we were asked to pick our five most important Seahawks this week uh, on our show. I put Dwayne Brown in there, and I love watching him play. There was a flip play to J.D. McKissick where he, was, uh, he pulled around to the weak side, and he had to block a DB. And there's about 10 yards between him and the DB. DB started putting moves on everything. <laughs> Dwayne Brown just stayed right down the middle, ends up getting right down the middle of, of the player and just an throws a beautiful block there. So he is really important, and I'm really loving seeing what, what he's done. And I think he's just going to bring a presence to the rest of that offensive line. Look, Russell, like I said, didn't get, didn't get sacked. Now he did you know, have some spectacular get-out-of-trouble type of plays, and sometimes that's on, his, on him rather than on the offensive line. Yeah. But I think the O-line, especially, Paul, in, in pass blocking has gotten a ton better. Well, I think moving Posick to the right side, Posick can handle a, a tackle by himself and pass, and pass protection. In the run game, there, there's still some issues there. But in the pass protection, Posick is a, a, a good enough athlete. He's got the size. He, his technique is right. He, he is an offensive lineman. And you, you mentioned it. I go, look, we've got three first-round draft picks on this offensive line. We've got a second-round pick in Britt. Um, it's, 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 it's there, right? And uh, did I mess that up? Do we have four first-round picks now? I mean, no. Well, and, and then Posick. Sorry about oh, that. Yeah. So it, it's there. I thought we protected really well and a matter of fact I, I think if when Russell went back and watched that film I think he may go okay I can be a little more patient in that pocket it was formed it was there I, I get there's a history to it where he's you know shell-shocked at times he goes I'm out of here that that clock but he's gonna see a natural pocket for the first time I've seen all year where it looked like okay this is a formed pocket where he can now step up into the pocket, still make a throw, and if it's not there, he can scramble. So the answer to your question, from a pass protection standpoint, I, I, I like this offensive line right now. I've been around the team for 15 years, guys, and I got to spend a uh, little bit of time with uh, Dwayne Brown yesterday. He's a man's man. Yeah, He is absolutely huge. And like, <laughs> yo, oh, right? my goodness. It just, just the way... His teammates are around him. I'm like, oh, you guys are feeling like I'm feeling a little bit like, mm, let me be quiet. But, yeah, <laughs> so the offensive line looked good. I want to address the elephant in the room, Some something that, you know, Cliff Averill had surgery mm. on Tuesday, and then on Brock and Salk, um, Pete Carroll announced that Cam Chancellor was out for the season. I didn't like Pete Carroll's voice. It was something to Pete mm. Carroll's voice when he was talking about that. It just didn't sound that great. About but, Cam. Uh, about Cam. But yeah. apparently he's out for the season. You guys want to talk about that? What does this mean for this defense that we're going to have to see out there against the Eagles? It's funny you said that, G. When, I, when he said he's not going to make it back, it sounded so grave. 
like you know maybe there's more to come now of course we're just reading into it i just you just worry because you i just i feel cheated if if cam can't come back and play i just love watching him play but uh you know there are certain players kind of stumbled onto this at the end of our show an, an hour ago or so that the cowboys are playing tonight if you look at the stats without sean lee their linebacker now he's a good linebacker but i don't think he's that good but if you look at the stats without sean lee and look at the stats with him it's ridiculous and just to give you an example 164 yards rushing versus 80 when he's in it's half as much there are certain players is my point that are key players that you can't live without earl thomas we found that out last year he is a key player and i'm not saying that that richard sherman and cam chancellor and cliff averill aren't you know, key players, but there are certain, there's a certain formula in your defense where I think that they can get by. And, you know, when you start looking at who are the superstars on this, on this defense and what do they have left, you know, you would say Cam and Sherm first, you know, first, second probably, but then you still got Earl. You don't have Cliff Averill, but you still got Bennett and you still got Frank Clark and Sheldon Richardson and KJ Wright and Bobby (laughs) Wagner, an MVP candidate. I mean, there would be a lot of defenses in the league that would kill to have those six or seven, you know, superstars. So, and I'm looking at like Philly, for example. Fletcher Cox is a really good player. Uh, Brandon Graham, the, the the pass rusher, really good. Nigel but Bradham is. A Bradham is really good. He's a stud. Yeah, but I mean, there's three. But I just named off six, and that's without the two injured guys. So I just three injured guys. Sorry. So I, I, I don't. I think that that part is being over-exaggerated. And when you look, like we talk to people back east who do pregame radio for uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, like, well, you guys got so many of these injuries. I mean, that's just going to devastate your defense. Not so fast, man. And that's where I, I feel like in today, K.J. Wright, Paul, he, there was a, uh, an article, and he was like, hey, don't sleep on us. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I see that chip on their shoulder starting to starting to get bigger and bigger because now they're talking about this team as if they're someone that's a shell of their former self and i don't think they are no i think the depth you look at mcdougall and he is playing very good football i mean very good last year you know cam gets hurt you go oh man steven terrell this year you go the mcdougall can flat out play it and it I, it, they're such different players. I, I could, it, I could even say, depending on what you got called, McDougal maybe even a, in, be a guy that is better to be able to play that certain call. Losing Cam is—he's so special. It's hard to replace him. I'm, the, the quest, I'm going to answer your question on what does that mean because we, we're reading between the lines, right? And that was Pete Carroll. He said their their career will—it will depend on their decision, and and. Again, I'm not the doctor, but I did retire with a herniated disc yep. in the Stingers. And at my time, where we weren't making the kind of money they had, it was a question. He said, you can have surgery. You, you can have surgery on your neck, a spine with, you know, spinal cord stuff. You know, so there's some there are issues there. And keep going to play football. Sounds a little morbid to me at, at this point. And if you've got the money... You have to you have to put that into to play, and I think that's where Pete is saying it will be up to them on on what they want to do for their 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 future. So hopefully they come back. But I also get if they walk away, I get it. But speaking of history, Paul, what what year into it did you have to make your decision? I was I was in year seven. 
right? And and Max Strong, I believe he was what year fourteen, whatever the number was. And, and, and it, just, it just seems like when you get that late into the career, yeah, <sighs> they got money too. That's the other they, thing. They have money where they have a financial plan that Cam just signed a big contract. Cliff signed one two year or a year ago. They're good. They can support their family yeah. the rest of their life, no problem. Yeah, so you now and it's I how much you want to get into that. Yeah, I mean, look, now guys never used to retire. In no. Our, in our day, you know, like you just walk away if there's the slightest bit of risk or they just get tired of it. That never happened because guys, you know, they needed it. But now you've got the – and, uh, you know, it's not all about money, but no, it has but to be a factor here. And uh, But, you know, it's surprising to a lot of people, as much money as they make, a lot of these guys, they just love – they playing do. football. But they play a lot of football. And here's the thing about being a, a professional football player is like you can never duplicate that later. Like, uh, you know, basketball, you can go out and shoot around and stuff. And, you know, golf, you can always play. And baseball, I don't know, you can play softball and stuff. I can't do what I used Turkey to do. Turkey Bowl, buddy. No, Come I can't. Come on, Thursday, on Thanksgiving. Flag football, I don't no, get to hit anybody. You know no. what I mean? I mean, so that's the thing about it. It's final. And it's almost like a party you just dies when when you uh, when you retire so it's a tough decision for these guys i think either way but now you make a great point paul that they they're set for life and so it makes it a little bit easier for them to make that decision you're listening to seahawks weekly at eight o'clock we're going to be having bobby wagner he's going to be live here at pearl seafood and oyster bar if you're driving around come on down here to pearl and get a chance an opportunity to sit here live with bobby wagner and coming up at 7 30 we're going to go inside the film room with paul moyer and dave wyman to break down some plays i'm quite sure bobby wagner is going to be somebody we'll be talking about inside the film room on a positive side of things we got some guys coming back from injury. Deion Jordan is day-to-day. Mike Davis, who's going to be in the run game, he's going to be back. And Shaq Griffin, he's going to be back. Let's talk okay. some positives right now. What is that you guys see with these gentlemen possibly coming back? Well, I like Shaq Griffin coming back, that's for sure. After, you know, with that being said, I thought last week, you know, I thought Jeremy Lane and Maxwell and Thorpe, they all played really, really good. I mean – we're really deep in that position. So to lose Sherman, you know, we, we can do some things from a scheme standpoint. These guys can hold up on their own. Uh, but I think Griffin is that he's a, he's a difference maker, that, that confidence. So glad to have him back. I think Mike Davis is even maybe even a step more than I want to see in that while he didn't have a lot of yards a, a couple weeks ago when he did get in. It seemed like he did. Felt like he did. It, yeah. I go. Yeah. This is different. <laughs> yes. The, yes. The explosion to the hole. There's a, 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 a shoulder down. Take no prisoner attitude and make someone miss. So I'm excited to see him in there. And you know, I just, I, I just think we need something, a, a spark, and, and hopefully that's Mike Davis. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Shaq. I'm, I'm with you on that. He has just developed into. It's it's almost like I don't consider him a rookie anymore. So getting yeah. him back is great. Justin Coleman has been the guy to yeah, me that has him. been so such a great trade there, and I just love the way he plays. He does all the dirty work, and it's just it's nice to see there. But yeah, Mike Davis. I mean, look. The only thing is you're, you're coming back in a, in a game where uh, you're playing Philly that has the number one rush defense by far. Now, I know a lot of that is because they've been ahead. Teams haven't rushed against them. But Chicago last week, they had a top five running game. They left town with six yards rushing. So this is a tough one to ask the Seahawks to get the running game 
back on. But I'm with you guys both. J.D. McKissick I put in the same category. It's like you look at the end of the game and go, oh, he got like 37 yards. It felt like 100 because just the way that they play and the, the quickness and the suddenness and the explosion, all those things you mentioned, Paul, I just – I'll take those two guys all day long, you know, ham and egg it with those two, you know, outside, inside, whatever. But they just look like, and, and I've always said, I've contended, I think it's on the running backs. You know, there's some holes that are open there. Now, they're not huge gaping holes like it used to be with uh, the 2005 Seahawks with, with Hutch and, and Walter Jones and Max Strong leading the way. But there's some room to run, and we've seen some instances of guys getting loose a little bit, and uh, those two guys, I think, are the guys to do it. Guys, this Eagles team is 10-1, and 8-0 against all NFC teams. Like Paul and I were talking before uh, the show started, I think they had four of their last five games were at home, and they beat up on some Rudy Poop teams, including <laughs> the Bears, who left there with six yards, according to Dave Wyman. I didn't even know that stat. That's, that's pretty bad. But uh, the Seahawks are at home, and I mean, this is a 10-1 team that's coming into town, and uh, they got some strengths and everything, but uh, the good news is, Seahawks are at home, and if I just don't see the Seahawks losing three home games in a row, because if they were to lose this, this would be three home games. And I just, this just don't happen, baby. It don't happen like Blame that. Blame it on the 12s. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> oh, you're trying to get them riled no, up. You're trying get to get them riled up. fired up. They better um, be. Look, I think you said it. They're 10 and 1, and they're blowing teams out. And I, when you go on the road and beat somebody, you know, where they beat Dallas, and Dallas was, was 37 horrible, 37 and 9. nine. You're a good football team. But I'm going to tell you, this is not the greatest 10-1 and football team of all time. They have, they've got weaknesses. You know, Wentz at times, it, it, they were reversion to the mean. There's a lot of tip passes. He's completing 60% of his passes, and some of these tip passes are falling right between three guys. And at some point, that reversion to the mean comes back and haunts you. They have a very good running game. They are a physical front uh, or, or offensive line. They do some stuff like uh, the 49ers used to do with, um, with Harbaugh was there, you know, bringing, you know, the, the U back or the tight end, extra tight end in the backfield and trapping or in some power O's. And then they bring in, you know, another running back, and all of a sudden, you know, you're getting the stretch zone, zone plays. They do some good things offensively, but defensively is where it's at. And they are fun to watch. That, it is a fun team to watch. What do they remind I, you of? Well, they remind me, and I don't want to say it as a negative, but they remind me more from having fun and flying around and being physical, and they're fast with their linebackers. They're secondary. It, it's not even close to 2013 with the Legion of Boom. They're, that's where we're going to have to go get them. But their linebackers can run. Their front four is really good, especially those two inside tackles. But they're just having fun. And they, I mean, they just love football. That's what reminds me of the Seahawks defense because the Seahawks have drafted very specifically guys who love the game. And you go watch this Philadelphia Eagle defense, they love the game. All right. Well, coming up next, we get to go inside the film room with Paul Moyer and Dave Wyman. And get excited because Dave Wyman gets to talk about Bobby Wagner who I assume he thinks is the defensive MVP of the National Football League. We're going to break down some plays and can't wait for these guys to break it down. You're listening to Seahawks Weekly. Uh, welcome back everybody. 
We're right here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar, right here in the heart of downtown Bellevue. If you're driving around right now, you got about 30 minutes before Bobby Wagner, middle linebacker for your Seattle Seahawks, will be here. We'll be interviewing him right here. Coming up next at 745, we'll talk to the professor, John Clayton, and get his take on the upcoming games and also the injury updates. We'll be talking about that right now. This is one of my favorite things to do. I like to nerd out a little bit. I got Paul Moyer and Dave Wyman. We go into the film room, and we kind of dissect some of the plays from the uh, previous game. And then the first play we're going to go over, we're going to go over the Bobby Wagner, that interception play, Bobby Wagner's interception, which sets up the Seahawks' first score. Hyde empties the backfield as Bether takes a shotgun snap, throws one near side, ball is bobbled but caught at the 15. No, it's taken away by Bobby Wagner, down to the 10, down to the 5, he's into the end zone. Is it a touchdown? It is! Touchdown Seahawks! Now the key is, was Wagner down on the ground or was he on top of the receiver? After reviewing the play, the ruling on the field is confirmed. It is an interception and it's Seattle's ball, first and 10 at the 16-yard line. So we have an interception each way now, but this one the Seahawks look to be able to do some more damage here as they have the ball first and 10 at the Niners' 16-yard line. All right, guys, what did we just see? First of all, my man Sheldon Richardson, I was talking to him about it. He yeah. said, man, I ain't never seen no stuff like that. What did you, what did we see there, Dave Wyman? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I've seen an interception like that either. The way I've seen guys, you know, go and tackle somebody and pull the ball away from him. But the way he got that one was special. But mostly it was about the way he jumped that route. And, you know, it's interesting. When you're 20 yards away from a quarterback and he steps towards you, that ball can go 10 yards on one side or 10 yards on the other. So you've got to know where the receiver is. But what the, the main thing here that I see, and I'll, I'll ask you this later, Paul, but this is one of the reasons why they're able to run cover three so well. They're rushing four. That means you got four underneath droppers and then three guys deep. And if my math's right, that is 11. <laughs> hey, I had to but, count. But I'll tell you what, you know, you, they release five players into those zones. And what teams do is they flood zones. And when you only got four underneath droppers, you need a lot of those guys to be really quick with their reactions and to jump things or else teams will pick you apart. And that's what Bobby did so well there. I can't explain the interception, G. I'll tell you what, man. He reached with one arm and he grabbed the ball and somehow twisted away from it. It was, it was something else. And I, I don't think I've seen a play like that either. But um, just the way he jumped that and how well he plays in zone and how these guys understand how to play that. And it, it goes not just the linebackers because KJ's dropping – Bobby's dropping. They're in nickel, so they got Justin Coleman underneath, and they've got Bradley McDougald underneath. And I, I thought all all four of those guys did a really good job. But look, Bobby is just—he's the best now at quickness and jumping ball. And we talked earlier, Paul, about how he baited Brian Hoyer to throw that ball in the first time that they played the 49ers, and he's just gotten to be a really good pass coverage guy. Yeah, I'm not even sure they're playing complete three deep zone. I, I, I'm. I'm, I'm be good to have Bobby here because this this comes to coaching as well there's a pattern recognition of formation to it because it looks like on the weak side to the two receiver side they're manned up and when they on the, the side of the interception they have a tight end who we call him number three and then they got a slot or and I think it may have been an, an, another tight end there at number two and then an outside receiver at number one they bring the tight end right down the middle of the field right past Bobby Wagner it doesn't influence Bobby at all so he, he knew there was a pattern or there's something coming there. And the quarterback looks very quickly to his right. Bobby doesn't take the bait at all. 
and jumps the number two receiver. It was a great break. And then for him to steal the ball as well, that's when the athletic ability part comes in. But just for him to make a break on that play, I thought was pretty impressive. One of the things Carson Wentz said, I, I was very impressed by his interview talking about the Seahawks defense. And there's a lot of times you think they're in three and they're in one. Or they have some combination. And, you know, a lot of times a guy will get up there and press and make it look like man and then bail back into his zone. So I'm always kind of, you know, hesitant to, to say whether or not it's three or one or cover two. But the way the guys underneath were dropping, it's definitely a, it's zone a to, zone. It's zone to the, to the three wide receiver side, to, our, to the defense. Sometimes right. they go man backside. But I, thought, but I thought they may have said, okay, we've got a trips on this side. We're going to go ahead and man up on the, on the weak side, which we used to do a bunch too. Yeah. If you know there's certain routes coming. And, and, or Maxwell, who was, I think was on the left side, completely blew it as a corner. <laughs> That's always an option. <laughs> Somebody made a mistake. That's right. No, All right. The next one we're going to go over with Russell Wilson, his rushing touchdown. McKissick stays in the backfield. Russell out of the shotgun on first and goal at the three. Takes the snap. Hands. No, he keeps it. Russell does it. He walks in untouched. Touchdown, Seahawks. The read keep, and the keep paid off for number three as Russell Wilson walks in untouched. And the Seahawks take the lead here in the second quarter. Well, that was a, that's a well-designed play. I mean, we always uh, get some heat sometimes from fans that saying that, you know, Bevel, you know, needs to be more creative. And in this case, they brought Bennett from the opposite side as a wingback. So we had two tight ends to our right. And then they ran a read option. So they faked the dive up the middle. You got Russell Wilson keeps the ball, but then you got Vanette who then comes across and he does a kickout block, and it's a Beautiful. perfectly Beautiful. designed play. He walks in untouched. We're going to have to see some more of that, but that will help our running game, trust me. Uh, teacher, can let me raise my hand on yeah. something. That play, if you go back to that, tell the truth. Did you not think J.D. McKissick had the ball? It, well, they it, did. It, every, the the 49ers, man, the 49ers did. The 49ers did. And it just seems like, guys, when J.D. McKissick is out there, along with Mike Davis, that's why we like, man, that's all the yards they had. But it just seems like there's such a difference when they're out there. My question is, with the J.D. McKissick out there, can they bring back the read option a little bit more, guys? Yeah, I mean, you have to be a threat. And, uh, you know, and everybody knows that Russell's going to keep it. I think a lot of that play, and this is when they were really good at play action, is Russell Wilson. He's a magician with the ball. He does a really good job. And it's, a, it's something really weird because Boomer Esiason was a guy that was really good at that. I always had a hard time figuring out whether he had handed the ball off or not. And it's because of the way he fakes. Some guys, when they fake, it's not authentic. And Russell does a really good job with that. And, but I love anytime you're pulling a guard over, you mentioned power in some of the, the runs you were talking about, or they bring a tight end across. I just think when you motion guys or have them pull across the formation, you have a good chance of outmanning the defense at the point of attack. And, uh, you know, defenders aren't as good at getting over there and following the, you know, the, the pulling guard. And so that's why I love that play. But I thought a lot of that came down to not just the threat of J.D. McKissick, but also the, uh, the sort of sleight of hand that you got from Russell Wilson. Yeah, the way they blocked down, the, the end had to squeeze down because if they handed off to McKissick, there would have been a natural cutback for a touchdown. But I'm really disappointed in you, Dave. Oh, you oh. just told me something. Oh. He said... I could not tell when Boomer Esiason handed the football off. And I would tell him, well, if you read your keys, 
you would know if that was a pass or a run. You're looking in the backfield. Stop oh, it. Oh, this is a per- this is real story. This is personal. This really I happened. I had to coach the guy back in the day. Oh, Dave. No, what's this is back in '88 and '89 when Paul was actually on the field. But you know, Cincinnati does a lot. What uh, you see, or what they used to do, uh, is a lot like what um, Philadelphia does with that uh, run pass option. They call it RPOs, mm-hmm. where the linemen they don't they're going sideways. You can't tell if it's a pass blocking play or if it's a running play. I mean, running plays typically the guy's coming right at you down downfield, and they would kind of go sideways. And this is where I thought the Seahawks were so good in 2013 on offense that they would have that sort of read. Uh, option type of thing going. Everybody's going sideways, and as a linebacker, all of a sudden Russell pulls the ball out. It's a pass. They dump it over your head. So really well-designed play. And then the next one we're going to talk about, I, I really credit Daryl Bevel for this. I thought it was very innovative. Well, this is the last one. we got two minutes to discuss this one. This is Jimmy we'll Graham's fast. record-breaking touchdown. Jimmy Graham is wide to the right side. Now in motion is Lockett from right to left. Russell, empty backfield, takes a shotgun snap. He looks to Graham, fires. Ball is caught by Jimmy Graham. Touchdown, Seahawks! And you just know the Niners out there are thinking alley-oop. And here comes Jimmy hard to the middle of the field. And Russell just lays it on him from one yard out. And the Seahawks now go on top 20-6. to 16 record for, for a Seahawk tight end, which is amazing in itself. Yeah. Rabel, one of the best in the business, how he talked about That's exactly what I thought was a nice little twist there is that, first of all, they motion the guy and just totally isolate Jimmy Graham. The corner out there is thinking, okay, here comes the jump ball. And, you know, the jump ball throw that Russell to, to him, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. Uh, you know, everyone knows it's coming. It's hard enough to, to make a play and execute a play when they don't know what's coming, but everybody knows what's coming. What a great little variation there. And Jimmy Graham does a great job getting a release. So instead of you know going right at the guy and trying to body him up, he gives him a little juke. He slaps his hands down and runs a slant, and I thought that was a great variation on that play. Paul, eight, and touch, eight touchdowns in seven games. He had eight in 31 games previous well, to that. and they're doing things to design for him, and now it's, it's not so much forced anymore. Now it's just go make plays. It, Dave talked about this. What was so great about this, because as we all know, we're not real fond of slant routes down by the goal line. But in this case, they, they had two receivers to our right, and they motioned across, and we built four wide receivers to our left. The linebacker, the middle linebacker, which was Coyle, moved over to the forward wide receiver side. So Russell, there's no linebackers. It's just him and the safety one-on-one. The safety thinks it's going to be a jump ball, you know, fade route. Instead, he fakes it. Does a quick slant. Easy for Russell to see. Great play. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we got Bobby Wagner. He'll be live here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Come on down if you're available and, and close to Pearl here. But up next, we'll talk to the professor. You're listening to Seahawks Weekly. Oh, welcome back to Seahawks Weekly. We got a great crowd here tonight. Welcome to Seafood, uh, Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar right here in the heart of downtown Bellevue. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Harrison's Distillings, Batch Number 12 Vodka, Legendary Donuts, which I get, happen to eat at 1 o'clock in the morning, and, of course, Muckleshoot Bingo. I appreciate them being here. Coming up in 15 minutes, Bobby Wagner, linebacker for your Seattle Seahawks, will be here live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Joining us on the phone right now, the professor, John Clayton. J.C., 
What's no good, my man? The big thing is, now that you had the donuts, right, and you're going to yeah. eat the donuts at 1 o'clock in the morning, does that mean you're not going to go on the vegan diet that you were thinking about next Monday? I'm still doing oh, the diet on. starting Monday, JC. Bad so move. I'm going to eat a bunch of donuts tonight, and yeah, I'm going to yeah. be ready on Monday. For the vegan diet? Yeah. Okay. But, hey, hey, wish me luck, JC. I, wish no, me- I wish you, no, I wish you luck, but I can, I can guarantee by the second quarter of the Jacksonville game, you're back on the non-vegan diet. Yeah. All right, JC. Give us. <laughs> is it vegan or vegan? Vegan, I don't know. It's like, well, let's put it this way. Whatever Tomato, it is, it's tomato. something I'm never going to do. <laughs> you don't care. JC, give, give us some injury updates. Cam, Cliff, Mike Davis, Luke Wilson, Shaq Griffin, all that. What do you got? Yeah, it seems pretty positive because, I mean, Shaq Griffin had a full practice today, so it looks like he's good to go. Mike Davis had a full practice. He's good to go. I mean, it's still going to be a little bit iffy on Deion Jordan, but I still don't count him out. I think that he's going to be able to try to get out there. I think he'll do something on Friday's practice. I mean, you know that uh, they're kind of taking it easy. I know that uh, Earl Thomas had a heel injury, kept him out of practice, but a lot of that's just veteran days off. They're trying to save him for the game. So I think health-wise, they're going to be in pretty good shape, You know, particularly now that they're getting more guys back than they're losing. Sorry, it, 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 a little loud here. What do you think Mike Davis, you know, now he's, that he's, he's healthy, playing. he's playing. Yeah. So your thoughts on who gets the most carries from him and Lacey? As long as he can stay healthy, it's going to be Mike Davis because there's more explosiveness in Mike Davis's runs than Eddie Lacy's runs. And if that's going to be the case, I mean, it's not like he's Eddie, Mike Davis is going to go out there and get 20 carries, but if he can go out there and get 14 carries, 70 yards, that'd be a good day. And then, of course, augment it with what Eddie Lacy's able to do in some, you know, pounded down situations. You know, J.D. McKissick out there trying to make some sh- uh, screen passes and, you know, get a few big plays. You know, if, the, if there's any way to get 80 or 90 yards out of the running backs, that would be huge. Because, I mean, you look at the league-wide average, I mean, it's 104. And this team's averaging right around the league-wide average. But the league-wide average is because Russell Wilson is going out there and getting so many of the yards. They just need to get more from the running backs than they do uh, Russell Wilson. And, you know, it's not like, I mean, the expectations aren't that high. Just try to do something. And I think Mike Davis has an opportunity, along with McKissick, to offer some things. John, you you talk to him all day. So, John, um, (laughs) um, you know, nowadays with the schedules, you don't see the Philadelphia schedule that often now in the NFL. One, they've had four of their last five games at home. Now they've got three games in the road. At the end of the year, two of them on the West Coast. You know, how does that play into this game and, and what your thoughts are on them finishing with the best record in the NFL? Well, because of the fact they've gone 10-1 and one and taken advantage of the easiest schedule in the league, and they played the easiest schedule in the league. How easy is it? Well, they've only had two games against teams that are you know, winning type of teams, and they've gone 1-1. One and one. That means the winnable games, they've won eight. Now they close out. Again, the schedule's not a killer because, again, they're in the NFC East, and if you're watching, I hope not, any of the Washington-Dallas uh, game, you can see how bad the NFC East is. It's one of the reasons why they're on the verge of clinching the division. It's because the division's so bad. But, uh, you know, they've taken advantage of the easy schedule. But, you know, if you watch and that's why you're playing to something that I, I, I care about so much is studying schedule. Like, for example, a couple weeks ago, I started looking at the New Orleans Saints, and I saw, okay, as great as they've been as the improvement on defense, so much of that is the fact that they've played bad quarterbacks. And so when they play a good quarterback, they tend to give up 25 to 30 points a game, and that's pretty much what they did when they faced Jared Goff and the Rams. And so now you look at the Eagles, I mean, you know, as 
dominant as their win average is and you know their win ratio and the stuff of points over points against you know so much of it's against they've been able to win a lot of the easier games this is going to be tough because now they go on the road for Seattle they stay on the west coast probably and then go down to the Rams that's not going to be easy and so that should bring some of their scoring down as long as the two defenses play well against them. John, you and I had one of our better discussions that we've ever had today where I argued that if Dallas loses, Philadelphia clinches the NFC East, and you argued that if Washington wins, they clinch the the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles do. Who's right? Well, we're both right because, again, it's like, it's like <laughs> but we're, I guess we're both going to be wrong because in Dallas's thanks to the Redskin right. mistakes, are winning the game. So that yeah. keeps Dallas in play. And the reason that's so important is because, and you've seen it through the years, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's an urgency that you need to maintain a high level. And so let's say, for example, you know, Dallas lost. You got the uh, Eagles clinching the division. There's now no urgency. And they've got to play no urgency football for five weeks and then get a bye week. And sometimes it's hard to recapture what you've been able to do in peaking as a team. And, you know, this team is still peaking. And maybe it's going to be better as far as how its peaking is going to be in the next two weeks. But at some point, you know, the success catches up to you a little bit because now, I mean, you're not playing for anything. I mean, because you, I mean, they can a couple weeks clinch home field advantage. If we're going to clinch the division, you know, it's going to be now more if they win Sunday or it's going to be next week. But the urgency is taken away, and that could make you play worse football. Hey, John, uh, you, you said the Eagles are going to stay out here yeah. on the West Coast. I, I, I right? don't know where. I, I haven't seen their schedule yeah. yet. So, But they're heading down to the I would to have to Rams. think they would because that's been the pattern of most of the teams that have had this East to West Coast. I mean, you just kind of stay out here. Remember, Atlanta did it last year. You know, They came yeah. here into Seattle after a trip West Coast, and then they played here. I mean, you know, to go back and forth, that's almost too much pull to take on the players. Going. And, again, one, one of the things that I think, you know, and Doug Peterson being a former player, a former quarterback, you know, yeah. he wants team bonding. And you can get good team bonding when you spend the road a week on the road, particularly in, a, in an environment where things are going very successfully. What is it about backup quarterbacks and coaching? You know, Doug Peterson, I just found out today, I mean, I played against him. I mean, I don't know if he was actually on the field when I was on the field, but he played, you know, and backup quarterbacks have a tendency to really, they make good good coaches. I, I think it's a lot of it is the fact that they have to study so much. They don't get on the field, and uh, it, it, it seems like there's a, a lot of them, John. Yeah, like we talked about, it's like, I compare it to, like, catchers in baseball. A lot yeah, of the that's a great comparison. Because they, they become good managers because what they have to do is manage the game. You know, if you're going to be the catcher, you have to set the pitcher up for all 27 outs and say, okay, do this, do this, do this. I'm going to tell you to do this. If you don't want to do this, here's another option. And I think it's the same thing with backup quarterbacks. And because, again, you know, they're sitting in the room. They have a full access to what you know, is going to be good and what's going to be bad. And I think it allows them, if they're a good enough teacher, because, again, if you're not going to be a good teacher, you're not going to be a good coach. But Doug Peterson is a good teacher, and I like the fact that he went into high school for four years, you know, tried to have some success there, and then got into it, and then gets in together with Andy Reid. So I think the fact that, I mean, you know offense, and off, I mean, let's put it this way. Quarterbacks are the key in the National Football League. We can talk defense, we can talk running games, but it's a quarterback-driven league. And if you know how to push the buttons on quarterbacks, which backup quarterbacks can do if you become a head coach, you can do some good things. Well, Professor, we'll talk to you tomorrow as you do your show from 10 to 12 tomorrow right here on 710. Have a good night, and we'll, we'll talk to you. Hey, get fired up for Bobby Wagner. There it is. Yeah. This is the Professor John Clayton coming up next. 
linebacker for your Seattle Seahawks, Bobby Wagner, will join us right here on Seahawks Weekly.